Thank you, worship team. Merry Christmas, Mount Helena Community Church. All right, you may be seated. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. I keep saying good morning to people, and it's not morning anymore. So this is a little bit different, but I do appreciate you joining us. If you're here with your family as a guest, uh, thank you for being brave and joining them. I appreciate you spending time with us as we worship together and we hear from the Word and we celebrate Christmas. I want to begin this morning uh, in the book of Luke. Where we're going to ref- look at some of the story and we're going to reflect on what God has done for us. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. And God, we open our hearts to your word. God, that as your word goes forth, as we talk about what it says and the power that's in it, Lord, and the reality of what you've done on our behalf, Lord, I pray that every one of our hearts would be open for you to steer us, to bring transformation to us, to bring healing and comfort and peace to your children this afternoon. God, we ask that... uh, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be leading us as we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're going to want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 if you have one. I also have the passages up on the screen, and I also lost my notes, so I'm looking for those right now. There they are. Most of you know I wing it regularly anyway and don't stick to them very well. But uh, we're going we're gonna to take some time this morning to look at the story, and I just would encourage you, like I just prayed, open your hearts, open your minds to receive the truth of God's word this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, we're going to read through it. It's a familiar story. Often we hear Christmas songs about it when we're celebrating, and we wonder about it. And sometimes we can read these passages of Scripture like they're just an old story, mythology or something, something ancient. But I would encourage you, as we read through this story, consider putting yourself in the shoes of those who are, who are involved and what it must have really felt like to see angels or hear this message or to see Jesus in a manger or to be Mary and Joseph and hear all these things that have been spoken about your son. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, a, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. As we celebrate Christmas, we take this time to reflect on what it is that God has really done for us. I want to draw your attention to a few things this afternoon to maybe consider As you go about your celebration tonight and tomorrow, you know, there's always debate, the reason for the season, and we get caught up in the gifts and the festivities and all that stuff, and that's all fun and good. 
But the real reason for the season, the real reason for what we celebrate at Christmas is Jesus himself. And we stop and go, why is it so important? Why is it so significant that Jesus was born? Why, why are we celebrating that? Why are we singing these songs? And it's important to remind ourselves of the reality of what he has done and why it is he came. I want to focus in on verse 11 that we just read. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who was born? A Savior. Why? Because mankind needed saving. We needed rescued. We needed a deliverer. And indeed, we still do. And also, who is Christ the Lord? What does it mean to hear this news that this child has been born that is Christ, that is the Lord, Christ, the anointed one, the one set aside, the one appointed to be the master? That's what that word Lord means, to be master. So today, a child has been born that will rescue mankind and will be the master or the Lord of the people. Of course, the Jews had been looking forward to this for quite a number of years. There, there are hundreds of prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. So they were anticipating that he would come. They had figured out, even if you look back in the book of Daniel, when they're waiting these 490 years, they calculated the time was soon. There was an anticipation, a looking forward to, that a rescuer, a king, a master, a lord would appear on the earth. I think it's important for us to sometimes remember that when we're celebrating this, this little baby that's born, that we remember that he's so much more than a baby. He's a king and a savior for mankind. People need rescuing. People need lead. We need this from God. I found myself thinking this, this year about Mary and Joseph and what it must have been like to be raising Jesus. What it was like to hear all of these things. You're talking about angels appearing to Mary, angel appearing to Zechariah. We're talking about prophecies about both John the Baptist and Jesus. You're talking about dreams that Joseph had. They took him up to the temple. You have Simeon and you have Anna. They're prophesying. They're talking about him. Imagine if you were mom and dad of this baby. Imagine all the anticipation and the wonder. And it does say in the scripture that Mary treasured up these things in her heart. She remembered them. You wouldn't forget, would you, Mom? If all these amazing things were being spoken about your child. What, what must have been the different emotions that they went through? And the anticipation. Then Herod tries to kill your baby. That's a horrifying part of the story. So again, sometimes we read through these stories like ancient history, but I would encourage you to empathize with the moment, to put yourself in the shoes of the individuals that went through these things. Mary and Joseph must have had tremendous anticipation and expectation about their son's future. Not only do we have hundreds of prophecies of the Old Testament, some scholars say that at minimum 300 prophecies were fulfilled in Christ. Some people estimate as many as 500, 550 prophecies in the Old Testament are fulfilled by Christ. You know what the probability of that happening is? Beyond numbers, mostly. Very rare. But God can do those things. Think about all the things that were spoken by the angel and in the dreams and those things. I went through and I just 
just in a quick skim, I came up with about 25 different things just in those two chapters. Just in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. That's where we get these stories. If you want to go home tonight and you want to read the Christmas story with your family, which I would encourage you to do, and remember really what the story says, read Matthew chapters 1 and 2. Look at Luke chapter, chapters 1 and 2 as well. And when I skimmed through those, I just saw a number of things in anticipation of who this Jesus would be. Said he would be great. Said he would be given the throne of David. Said he would reign forever. His kingdom will not end. Elizabeth called him Lord, and he wasn't even born yet. That he would have glory. That he would be appointed for the fall and rising of many. That he would be a sign that would be opposed. That he would be called Emmanuel, God with us which is such a significant reality about who God is, that he would be, be born of the Holy Spirit, that he would be the king of the Jews, that he would be a ruler, all these things, kingly things, that he would be a king. What great anticipation and expectation there must have been in Mary and Joseph's heart and all the people in the region that had heard and seen these things. I mean, these shepherds probably lived for many years after this, right? And telling their story. What would it be like? Jason did a good job last week of demonstrating what it would be like for the wise man to go up to the capital and talk to the governor and then walk out to East Helena looking for the Savior, putting, our, putting us in the reality of that situation. It's important for us to reflect on those things. What did that feel like? Not only that, then we have him being mentioned as a redeemer two times, bringing salvation twice, saving people, showing mercy, bringing forgiveness two times. All this in just these four chapters. That his way would be peace. That he would be a savior. That he would be the Christ, the anointed one. That he would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That he would save people from sin. And that he would be a shepherd. Is that a long enough list for you? <laughs> All of these significant things were spoken over the life of Jesus in those years of his birth. Right there in the beginning. How much was in mom and dad's heart about who Jesus would become. Of course, they had their own way of framing it. The Jews were anticipating that their Savior would deliver them from the Roman rule. They were expecting him to literally take back the throne of David and become the physical, political king over the nation of Israel. And surely Mary and Joseph, I don't know really what they thought. The scripture doesn't say, but... They've got all of this information. Maybe they wrestled with those things. Who knows? It reminds me of uh, in the account of John in the Gospels and the very first miracle in there that, that Jesus does. He turns the water into wine. And there's an interesting exchange between he and his mother. And it says this. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But she says this. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Mom knew something. She knew it was about time. She had anticipated all these years. And this is when Jesus performs his first miracle. And his ministry is just getting started. I think it's fun to think about those things. But what about you and I? What do you and I anticipate today? What do we feel today? What do we see today about Jesus? Do we see the King? Do we see the Savior? 
Do we consider him in today's world? Or are we just celebrating a historic event? Or is it real to us today? I would encourage us all to consider the reality of what Jesus did today. Where do our expectations lie? This isn't about celebrating ancient history. It's about celebrating something that God is doing even right now in lives all over the world. Establishing and spreading his kingdom. Bringing salvation and leadership to people who need it. We need it. We're broken and we suffer and we make mistakes. But he brings forgiveness and he brings direction and he brings healing to those who submit to him. Have you ever walked out a process of learning about Jesus, but then going beyond that to see him as the real king and the real savior? You know, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who is the king? Jesus is truly the king. And we understand that we look forward to a day of his return where he establishes his rule on the earth. But I wonder, and I have to ask myself this same question, do I sense or do I see his kingly rule in my life? When I look in my life, do I see King Jesus sitting on the throne of my life? That's what he came to be. He came to be the king. And I can look inside and go, is he really my savior? Have I really looked to him for my salvation, my rescuing, the leadership that I need? Or am I the king? Because so often when I look in my heart and I reflect, I see myself sitting on the throne going, wait a minute, I'm the boss. And yet the scripture teaches us something different, that he came to be our rescuer and our king. Again, is our celebration of Christmas simply connected to a historical fact? Or are we really celebrating a very real acknowledgement of him as king and as savior? There's one thing about kings is they have a kingdom. The Bible is full of language about the kingdom of God. Why did Jesus come? Just so we could have a story about shepherds and wise men? No, there was a purpose with which he came. And he goes on to live this life and teach us so many things. We've got those four chapters, one and two of Matthew and one and two of Luke, about his birth. And pretty much the whole rest of the New Testament centers around his resurrection. The reason that he came. To die and to rise from the dead on our behalf. But he's a king. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, this is the message he first started preaching. He and John the Baptist both. For at that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was what Jesus preached. What was it like to hear Jesus preach? This is what he preached. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. What does it mean to repent? Turn and go the other direction. Change your mind. Change your way of life. Change how you think because the kingdom is at hand. And so he's, he's challenging people. He's coming and he's ministering. Change your direction because he's about to do something so significant on the cross. He's about to establish his kingdom where he is the king. A king has territory. He has a place where he rules and reigns. We recently finished up a series where we talked about Revelation and the end of time. 
and the, and the return of Christ, and we recognize that he's coming back to earth in a very visible way to be very much a very real king on the earth, but we live in a period of time in between his resurrection and his return in which he reigns from heaven, but we're still in this time of living by faith, choosing to believe, putting our trust in the Christ, the anointed one, the Lord, the King, the Messiah. When we put our trust in him, he becomes king in our lives. He leads us. And we look to him for that guidance. In this world, we have different kinds of authority. We have bosses. We have political authorities. We have, you know, and we may choose to submit or not submit. You know, sometimes laws are just over us and we have to obey those kind of things. But this is really interesting what Jesus has done. He's invited us to, by faith, bring him in as Lord and bring him in as Savior. He's not forcing himself upon people. There is a reckoning coming, a day, a judgment someday. But in this time, he's inviting people to believe and accept and receive and make him the king, the Savior in their lives. And I wonder, as I reflect about the significant thing that God has done, is he really on the throne of my life? Have I really accepted him as king. I want to read to you out of Revelation chapter 1, just to give you an idea of what this king eventually does. Jesus came. He taught us all these things. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He returns, and ultimately, we go on to a new creation. Let's look at the passage in Revelation 21. Then I saw, John's having a vision of something. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Big change coming. Why? Because we have a king like this who's going to do this for those that love him. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus came for new creation. He came to bring transformation into our lives, and he came to become king, that one day he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth where he will dwell with us. You know, in the very beginning in the Bible, the very first story, God dwelled with man. But man rebelled against God. But the day is coming that God dwells with men once again. And even now we have a deposit of that, don't we? With the Holy Spirit that dwells with us. Powerful things for us to reflect on as we consider the holiday. There will be no need to go to a place of worship. This building's not special. This building isn't holy. It's not God's temple. You are. God's with you, and he's with me. That's something that Jesus accomplished for you and I. So not only will Jesus be king, but we also see, as the angel said, that he would be savior. He'd be our salvation. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, when he finally got his voice back after he lost it, said this. 
He's prophesying about John the Baptist, but we learn about Jesus as well in here. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Because he is merciful. Such an important thing for us to recognize about why Jesus came. Why did God send him? Because he was angry and sick and tired of mankind? No, because he's full of tender mercy. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I don't know about you, but we could all use more peace and the world could use more peace. Who does that come from? What does that come through? Politicians? No. TV, actors, drugs, other things we give ourselves to trying to find peace, trying to make it? There's only one way. It's the king of all kings that brings peace. This is his gospel. This is his good news for you and I, that he's come through the forgiveness of sins because he's merciful to guide us and bring us peace. John chapter 3, famous passage. Let's go to that one. But I want to read kind of the rest of the story here. We all, I think, I shouldn't say we all, but one of the first Bible verses kids have to memorize when Sunday school is this, for God so loved the world. Can I just stop there? I know I I say this a lot to our regular congregation, but it's so important for you and I to recognize what's the motivation of God? Love. You can talk in our church too. It's okay. What's the motivation of God? Love. God so loved. And yet that's so hard for us to get our minds around sometimes, isn't it? Because sometimes we, we, we do think like that. God just finally got tired of trying everything, so he had to do this. No, he loves. He's rich in mercy. This is his motivation for why he does this. It's why we celebrate Christmas, because we couldn't make Jesus come and be our sacrifice. We couldn't make him come and be our king. God chose in his expansive love and mercy to do so on our behalf. Let's continue reading. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Wait a minute, what do I believe? Do I believe that? Wow. It's challenging. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so that it may may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, when we get to this point where we really recognize Jesus as King and Savior, and we invite him in to be that in our lives, we step into the light. We step into eternal life. We step into that promise that he has for us. But as long as we remain in the darkness and keep ourselves as king, or whatever is king in your life, we're not going to walk in that peace. We're not going to have that light, that vibrancy, that peace that God has brought to us through his son. Nick, would you come on up? 
As you reflect on Christmas, again, I would encourage you. Is he really king? Do you really believe the story? I mean, belief isn't just connecting the facts in your brain and agreeing with them. It's not just looking at it as historically true. It's believing in every reality that he is actually king. And if he is, I want him as my king. He makes that invitation to me. He holds that out to you and I and goes, let me be your leader. Let me be the one that guides you through life. Let me be the one that guides your heart and brings reconciliation and forgiveness and healing and direction for you. That's who he is. We're about to celebrate communion. We're going to come up here and we're going to take a piece of bread and we're going to take some wine or juice and we're going to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross for us. And as you do, as you stand in line, as you sit down and wait for all of us to get what we, uh, get the elements before we take communion, consider what I'm saying to you. Is he your king? Is he your savior? What we're going to do is we're going to have about this part of the room over here, head over to this far table, maybe you guys about right here to this table. You go, go ahead and stand up. Form a line there, line there from about here over if you want to come to this table and then this quarter of the room, you can line up and serve yourselves at this table. Nick's going to minister to us with his guitar while you take the elements. We don't have a strict regulation about communion. Uh, If you feel that it's right for you to celebrate with us, do so. Same with your children. It's up to you whether or not they take communion with you. We're going to take a few minutes and do this, and then we'll continue. I want to remind you what communion is all about. The bread represents the body of Jesus. The cup represents his blood. His body was broken and his blood was shed on our behalf. And when we do this, we do so to remember him, to proclaim what he has done. Something that all of us can do together as a memorial and a remembrance of what Christ has done. And I'm going to share with you the story out of Luke chapter 22. And it was Passover. And Jesus was gathering for a final meal with his disciples. He was about to be crucified the next day. And the account in Luke says this. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes, the rule, the lordship. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after he had eaten, saying, This cup 
that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, the new agreement between God and man, this new kingdom that's being established on the earth with his blood that's about to be shed on your and I's behalf. He went to the cross as a ransom for you and I to take our place that you and I might otherwise deserve so that we can experience the forgiveness of sins and to walk with God every day in a very real way. Lord, we thank you and we remember you. What you have done, its significance, its power. Lord, and I pray that as we take these elements today that your message would be ringing loud and clear in each heart that your care and mercy and compassion for each one would be sensed. God, that your children would know how much you love them as a father. And God, that for those that are far away from you, even now, Lord, that their hearts' strings would be tugged and you'd call them into fellowship with you. As the prodigal son came home and the father saw him from far off and welcomed him, Though he didn't deserve it. None of us do. We don't deserve it. But Lord, I pray that you would be welcoming in those who have been far from you as well. You may take the bread. As well as the cup. in remembrance of me. Remember him. I want to remind you that uh, next week we will be having a New Year's Eve party here that's open to the public. We'll also have a New Year's uh, morning breakfast. We're not having a traditional service next Sunday, but we still will all be gathering and celebrating together. You know, we're not Christians simply because we say that we are. We're not Christians because of our moral code. We're not Christians because we pray. We're not Christians because we go to church. It's much more than a cultural or a familial or political or moral thing. So much more than that. We are Christians because we submit to Jesus as King and Savior as was spoken about him on the day that he was born. A Savior, Christ the Lord, the one who saves, the King. We are Christians when we submit to that Lordship. It is not a label we simply apply to ourselves. I want to encourage you again today, tomorrow, that as you celebrate Christmas and consider these things, that there's yet more to be fulfilled in Christ. The story's not over. He'll return and reign as king. But even now, he's expanding that kingdom in people's hearts all over the world. His kingdom keeps growing. We pray that your kingdom come. And that's when people give themselves, submit themselves. Even in your personal life, God wants to bring his leadership and his salvation, his peace. Take action. Submit yourself to him. Lord, I thank you for loving us. 
I thank you for wanting to make a way to be with us and rescue us. It's a profound story. There's no other story in the world like it. Thank you for leading us. We honor you today. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.